You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. Well, good to be with uh, you all today. Uh, You can open up your Bible to the book of Ephesians. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, You know, it's it's always funny to uh, be kind of in your own head and in your own um, thinking as the week goes on and you're preparing for a message and it's always so uh comforting i guess (laughs) when you get to to uh the time when you're presenting and you just see the spirit is working in your heart and other people's hearts um and really uh tying a message that he would have for all of us together um this morning and so i feel that way just uh based on steve's prayer and even cassie's prayer um and uh thinking through again just Uh, the cultural moment that we live in, and then the responsibility for us as Christians to respond in a godly way, to respond in a way that uh, exalts Jesus's name and not any other platform or ideology's name. And so uh, I'm very thankful for the Spirit's work this morning, and I'm praying that uh, he just does do a work in our hearts this morning as we consider Paul's words, this call really uh, uh, to transformation that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, but as Steve said, this week my, my heart has been burdened in a, in a particular way for God's church um, uh, for uh, his his people, his bride all across the world for various different reasons. But as, uh, as I've been thinking through that, um, really two things have come to my mind that I, I want to encourage us uh, and kind of weave this thought throughout this message of um, two long-standing uh, Uh, sins of the church that I think are very clear and present today. Uh, I'm going to give us two $10 words, but um, they're they're old words that that have been plaguing the church for a long time. The first one is syncretism. Syncretism. And that idea of syncretism is this idea of blending ideologies together. Um, This idea of marrying to what would be a otherwise opposed ideologies and meshing them together so that they uh, function as one or maybe hobble along as one. Um, So syncretism is the first thing that I think we really need to pay attention to because even as we think about the phrase that was stated in the pastor's prayer, Christian nationalism is a form of syncretism and that's why it is such a detriment to the church. It is this marrying of American ideology and Christianity and creating this this heretical ideology that would actually be antithetical to the gospel. Um, so syncretism is the first thing that's really been burdening my heart for the church uh, this week. And the reality that that different varying uh, American ideologies, again, on on both on all sides of the, or along the whole course of the spectrum have infiltrated into the church at one degree or another. Um, and we saw some of the extreme realities of that this week. Um, and the second word uh, that I believe is, again, something that's plaguing the church along the spectrum is Gnosticism. 
Gnosticism. And Gnosticism uh, was this, again, ancient belief. I actually um, wanted to, to read from 1 John because uh, the, the fighting against Gnosticism goes back to um, the early first century. And the uh, epistle written by John in chapter one of 1 John, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. John writing here in first John uh, against this idea of Gnosticism that would say that anything that is fleshly, anything that is, is happening in the earthly realm is uh, not true and not spiritual but that that belief is is antithetical to our christian faith in that we believe jesus actually came in the flesh we believe that he actually came and that's what john was saying that he was manifest to us we saw him and we touched him we were with him and this belief of gnosticism would say that no anything that happens in the flesh is not worth anything Everything is above and in this uh, greater spiritual realm. That's what Gnosticism would say, that the flesh is bad and everything that is uh, cosmic or otherworldly or spiritual is what is actually good and attainable. And the reality is that is, uh, again, antithetical to the gospel, that we believe Jesus actually came in the flesh, that he ministered here on earth, that he healed and transformed and worked a, a, a great many miracles amongst um, real people in real time. But Gnosticism uh, having a different form than today, uh, in some areas of the church, we begin to reject uh, out, or outward or even external human um, tangible transformation, that everything is a spiritual reality. And again, I, I believe Paul's words to us here in Ephesians chapter four is, is another refutation of that Gnostic belief that there is true transformation here and now today in our bodies in real time and space that affects and, and, um, and uh, is seen and demonstrated to real people that they see the true transforming power of Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our lives now. It's not only something that will be made full, and we know it will be made full when we see Jesus as he is, but it's something that is truly experienced and felt and demonstrated and seen now here on earth. And so those two guiding thoughts kind of have been um, on my heart this week, the need to press against, the need to push back, the need in our own hearts, as we'll see in Ephesians 4, to reject syncretism and to reject uh, a form of Gnosticism that would, would say, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do here in my body now. I, I know I'll be like Jesus one day. To reject that reality and say, no, there's absolutely a need to live transformed today, right now, as we display and demonstrate to the world that Jesus is real. So Ephesians uh, chapter 4, I'm going to read uh, verse uh, 17 uh, through 24. The word of God says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're considering this morning this call to transformation and really wanting us to look at this text uh, and really wanting us to see uh, where the Spirit of God would work in us as we uh, find ourselves, our own heart attitude, where we need to be transformed as this text would uh, walk us through it. And so there are a few words that I want us to pay attention to. Uh, in, in the beginning part of this passage, in verse 17, we see the word walk there, that you must no longer walk. And this idea of walking is, is uh, this idea to live or behave in a customary manner uh, with this idea of it's something that is habitual. It's something that you continually do. Uh, so again, thinking through this reality of walking, it's not simply just uh, going about your life in some kind of passive way, but it's this call, this, this, this uh, imperative no longer to live in a customary manner, no longer to live in a continual action, no longer to walk. And he says, no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. And again, the Gentiles being this, this uh, common understanding of a, a way of life, uh, a, a way of life. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as he goes on and says, the next word I want us to pay attention to is futility. This reality of being useless, the basis of being futile and lacking content. So he says, no longer walk akin to the Gentiles, like we would observe the Gentiles walking, those who do not have a relationship with God, in this manner that is futile, in this manner that is useless, that it is baseless, that it has no true substance or content to it, and ultimately because it's not connected to the eternal God. It is man-crafted. It is man-centered. It is not God-centered or Godward. And so he calls the Ephesians here to flee this futility, flee this futility that is, is crouching at their door. Again, in a place like Ephesus, um, this, this great city that was a port city that would have had all kinds of ideologies and, and things coming in and out of the city. Paul calls the, uh, the believers here to flee this futility that they would have, they would have been just bombarded with day in and day out in the city as they go, seeing all forms and expressions of empty and baseless lifestyles, empty and baseless um, expressions of worship. And so Paul calls them to flee. Now, backing up a little bit, we know that the book of Ephesians, written by Paul, he opens up in the first three chapters, and he gives a, a bunch of truthful statements about who we are in Jesus, culminating in, in chapter uh, two and, and, and following of chapter three about this reality of unity, 
that in Christ there are both Jew and Gentile that have brought been brought into one body that have been brought into true harmony where there's no more barriers no more dividing walls that there's true unity found in Jesus so Paul here talking about the the Gentile ideology he's not necessarily talking about the Gentiles who would be Christians in the church but instead this idea of Gentilism if you will and that lifestyle is futile. And in chapter 4 and following through the rest of the book, he gives these practical outworkings on how to apply that theology of verses or chapters 1 to 3. And so he says, flee, flee the futility, the way that you walk, the way that you conduct yourself, run from the futility that is baseless. And he goes on to say why in verse 18. Talking about the Gentile ideology, he says, they are darkened, in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. And again, that alienation being um, the basis for their darkening. The, the word darkening there means to become unable to perceive and thus unable to understand. So if we look at that again, we see they are unable to perceive, they're unable to understand in their understanding. They're unable to understand in their understanding. And again, as we think about futility, what a futile lifestyle. To grasp and claw after understanding, but being darkened to the point that there is no ability to truly understand what God has done and what he is doing here on earth. They're darkened in their understanding. And then he says this word alienated, which he brings that up in, in, in chapter two, talking about the alienation that was there from those who would not know God. But again, this idea of alienation is alien to being alienated is to be a stranger or a foreigner, having no understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with God. They're alienated from the life that is in him, uh, and because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That'd be the last word that I want us to think about. Hardness of heart. This reality of being stubborn or unwilling to learn. And so again, think about this picture of futility that Paul is painting. That he's saying, run away from this type of futility. This futility that is darkened. This futility that is alienated. This futility that is hardened unwilling stubborn unwilling and stubborn to learn what true righteousness is as as i was thinking through that idea of hardness i i couldn't help but to think of pharaoh in uh the book of exodus and we see uh this really deteriorating reality of hardness uh, we see in in the first set of, of of plagues that happen we see this phrase pharaoh's heart became hard Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh's heart was hard. And we go through, and as we get to the later plagues, we begin to see this. Um, God announces that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there's a reality in us pursuing futility. There's a reality in us pursuing what is unrighteous, or unrighteous that God would allow us to continue to pursue it. And that is a place that we do not want to be. We do not want to be in a place when, where God would allow us to pursue uh, 
uh, our own flesh, because we are hardened and stubborn and unwilling to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And so this fleeing of the futility of the Gentiles um, is this reality of fleeing idolatry. It can be summed up that way. This reality of fleeing idolatry. We see this kind of similar language from Paul in Romans chapter 1 when he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. From his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. And ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This idolatry that uh, winds up in our hearts, this idolatry that uh, suppresses the truth of God um, is crouching at all of our doors as well. It's easy enough for us to be like, oh yeah, that's them. That's those wicked people. But the reality is that if it weren't for God's grace, we would be those wicked people. And so the call, again, fighting against Gnosticism is for us in our bodies, in our flesh, to pursue what is right. And so the question that I have for us this morning to truly consider is, what futility do you cling to? What futility do you cling to? It's a worthwhile question to to wrestle with. All of us in varying forms, in varying degrees, wrestle with some kind of, of ungodly thinking, ungodly action, ungodly pursuits. And the call, the call for transformation is to identify those things and flee them. To identify those things and run from them. We just celebrated the reality of Jesus coming into the world, him coming flesh and dying for us. And the implications of the incarnation as we identify what those things that are drawing us away from him is to cling to him more closely. To cling to Jesus more closely. To put off and flee from this old way. Or as the writer of Hebrews put it, he said, To let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That we would run away from futility, the futility that clings to us. And again, my challenge, I pray that you would would not just pass by that. But that you would really think through in what ways do you wrestle with idolatry idolatry of the American way, idolatry of your lifestyle, idolatry of things, idolatry of people. Really wrestle through those things, identify them and and flee from them. So how do we uh, walk worthy then? Well, Paul goes on. He says, again, that they're darkening their understanding, this way that we need to flee from because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality to practice every kind of impurity. And then he puts the brakes on real tough here. But 
that is not the way you learned Jesus. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is found in him, that you are to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. So again, the call is to flee that futility. If you've really encountered Jesus, if you've really experienced the transforming power of of coming to know who Jesus Christ is, then you are going to flee the futility and put off the old self because it belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then here's the call to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We uh, had an opportunity to go to Alaska and visit Whitney's family. And uh, in Whitney's parents' kitchen, I I don't know, in the last handful of years, they rearranged some of the drawers. And so uh, it was kind of funny to watch Whitney and her sister both go to the the drawer that is no longer the silverware drawer. They they grew up their entire lives as as children and then, you know, they went off to college. But sometime in that time, their parents changed where the silverware drawer was. Uh, and, and I was joking with Whitney that she needs to renew her mind, that she needs to, to transform her thinking uh, and to be able to go to the right silverware drawer. Um, and that was just a, a little silly example of, of the need for renewal. She knew that the, the silverware, she's been told that the silverware is not there, that no, you need to go to this new drawer where the silverware is, but there was something disconnecting where the renewal of where it is didn't actually translate into putting on a different way of living. Um, and I, again, joking with her saying she needed to renew her mind. But we see uh, another example of this found in Exodus 32, this, this more uh, devastating and detrimental reality of the lack of renewal and what can actually happen in it. Exodus chapter 32 says, When the people saw Moses, that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This, uh, again, thinking back to um, 400 years, generations of being in Egypt, and again, this old, old sin of syncretism. This old, old sin, the, the, those people who came out into the wilderness and followed Moses, all they knew was a form of Egyptian idolatry. All they seen and all they experienced uh, was this form of Egyptian idolatry. And they see that this path that they were following with Moses doesn't really seem to be panning out. We need to acknowledge a God who is working for us. And so they fashioned for themselves an idol. They needed the renewal that again was going to come from the Ten Commandments that were coming down from the mountain. The word of God for them to live in this transformed way. 
And so when we do not renew our minds, we go back to the former ways of living. When we do not renew our minds, we uh, put down pursuing righteousness and we pick up pursuing futility. When we do not renew our minds, we begin to devolve from what Christ would call us to be. But what does it exactly mean to renew our minds? This reality uh, of renewing our minds, we know that it's not um, merely this outward expression of avoiding worldly behavior. It's not merely that. Um, we, we know that, that, doesn't, that that's, that's skipping ahead too far. We're trying to just stop doing all these things in our own, our own uh, strength. But we do know that avoiding worldly behavior will be a product of renewal. We do know that avoiding worldly behavior will be a byproduct of renewal, but it's not the core of what renewal is. And again, that is something that we all wrestle with. That is something that we all have a hard time with. We want to jump from, I know that this isn't the way that I want to do it. I know that this isn't the way I'm supposed to be living, but I want to just jump right to it, right? I want to, I want to lose that 10 pounds without going to the gym. I want to lose that 10 pounds without eating better. All those types of things. Uh, and we want to jump right ahead to what the difference is. So what does it mean to renew your mind? Well, I'll define it like this. Renewal of the mind is the complete submission to the Holy Spirit's internal and external work to make us more like Jesus. Renewing your mind is the complete submission to the Holy Spirit's internal and external work to make us more like Jesus. The word here in Ephesians where it says to uh, renew your mind, verse 23, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that word there is a word that is passive. And what that means is it's not something that you muster up in yourself. It is something that happens to you. It is something that happens to you. So the renewal of your mind is, again, not something that you can uh, just move this piece here, move that piece there, and, and bing, bang, boom, you have renewal. It is something that happens to you. It's something that the Holy Spirit does and works in you. John Piper, he says, uh, remarks on Romans 12, which again has this idea of the word renewal there. But he says this, the Spirit must work from the outside in through Christ-exalting truth. So the Holy Spirit works uh, from the outside in by us intaking Christ-exalting truth. Now let me ask you this question. In these last handful of days, how much Christ-exalting truth have you consumed? How much Christ-exalting truth have you consumed? I know that I took in a lot of truth this week that wasn't Christ-exalting. And again, all of us are tempted and, and all of it is, is available to us to receive and input truth that is not focused on exalting Jesus. John Piper goes on, the spirit works from the outside in through Christ exalting truth and from the inside out through truth embracing humility. I love that Cassie said that in her prayer. Through truth embracing humility. 
that the Spirit of God would humble our hearts to receive the Christ-exalting truth that is being presented to us from the outside. Piper goes on to say, if he only worked from the outside in by presenting Christ's exalting truth to our minds, but not breaking the hard heart and making it humble, then the truth would be despised and rejected. And if he only humbled the hard heart, but put no Christ's exalting truth before the mind, there would be no Christ to embrace and no worship would happen. So again, this reality of renewal of the mind is the complete submission to the Holy Spirit's internal and external work to make us more like Jesus. It requires us to submit to him. Well, how do you do that? Well, flip over really quick just to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives like their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now, a lot of times, uh, uh, and obviously for clear reasons, we are thinking about husbands when we're looking at that verse. But let's think about the wife in this passage. Think about a wife who would reject the sanctifying desire of her husband. Think about a wife who would run away from the godly pursuit of her husband to want to wash her with the word. And you would find where we find ourselves oftentimes, where we don't allow or we run away from or we don't make time for Jesus Christ to wash us with his word. We don't create habits and patterns that allow the Holy Spirit to be the one who is going to, or or to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. Again, this picture here is kind of easy for us to grasp when we're thinking about a husband-wife relationship, a wife who is rejecting the the love and and, and, uh, gentle and godly pursuit of her husband. But it's so easy for us to make excuses when our habits don't reflect the reality that Jesus wants to do that with us. He wants to wash us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to work in us. And that happens as we humbly come to him. How do you renew your mind? How do you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart? You have to be near Jesus. You have to spend time with him. You have to look to him. You have to observe him. It's not going to happen by watching the news. It's not going to happen by going to social media. It's not even necessarily going to happen by talking to your friends. Unless what you're talking with them about is matching up with the word and is Christ's exalting truth. This need for transformation, this need for renewal in the mind begins by coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. By coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning 
humbly allowing him to wash us with his word. And, and the reality is Jesus wants us to be near in that way. Uh, a while back, I think when we were in Colossians, Steve talked about this reality of wardrobe. And a lot of times, putting on the clothes of Jesus, we just don't feel comfortable. They're a little too big. They don't fit just right. But his wardrobe might seem too big to fit, but the closer you get to him and the more time that you spend with him, the better they will fit. The better they will fit and the more comfortable, comfortably they will fit. The more you spend getting to know him, the more you spend time with him, the more you allow the Holy Spirit to transform you by the truth that is being presented to you and working itself out in your flesh, the more that you will be able to be comfortable with that transformation. And then you will be able to get to the end, which is what we want to do, which is put on. And, and I love Paul's uh, continuing words here in verse 25 uh, of, of Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So again, this reality of taking off the old self, putting off the futility, being transformed, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you will translate into tangible, real-time differences. Because you put away the futility, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let no uncorrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Man. That's a beautiful thing to put on that is impossible to put on without the Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful thing to put on that is impossible to put on without looking to Jesus for how to do it. Again, look at verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Do those words describe you? Do those words feel at home in your heart? Be kind to one another. And we know this isn't something that we flip on for Christians and turn off for unbelievers. This should define you at all times of your day. Kindness, tenderheartedness, a desire for forgiveness as you remember what has been done for you. This reality of kindness. We know that our kindness, this, this reality of transformation that happens is what is put on display to the world. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
John 17, 20 and 21 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who would believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This reality of unity in the body, this reality of expressing, expression of love and tenderness and forgiveness that is is flexed and developed in the body of Christ is what is on display to the world as you go into the marketplace, as you go into your community, as you go and talk with your neighbors. This, um, this reality, this aroma, if I could put it that way, that is exuding from you because you know Jesus puts the transforming power of the gospel on display. I, I skipped a verse here in Ephesians 4, verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, that is a beautiful picture of true transformation. Let the thief no longer steal is the, is the running away, the rejecting of futility. That's him turning away from what is futile and what is outside of what he has learned in Jesus. And then his mind is renewed, right? So he went from stealing and he learned a trade. He learned to work with his hands. That took transformation. That took, that took renewal. That took him to, to, to put away what is easy by stealing and saying, no, let me learn to work with my hands. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. So he went from stealing to doing honest work with his own hands so, so that he might share with anyone who has a need. That is the power of the gospel on display. That Jesus Christ would transform a lowly sinner, a thief. That he, through the process of sanctification, would resist the the easy temptation to steal. That he would learn to work with his hands and not stop there, but then he would give what he has made with his hands to someone in need. That is transformation. That is uh, rejecting Gnosticism. That there is real transformation that happens here and now in his heart, in his body, in tangible time. And so again, the question comes to us, what is that for you? What's the renewal that needs to take place so that you can give to someone in need? So that you can have a tangible expression that Jesus has transformed you. That his spirit really is working in you. That there is hope for the people that are around you. That they can have that same transformation. That is the call of transformation. That we would put on display the powerful transforming power of Jesus. That he really does take thieves and he makes them generous. That he really does take sinners and make them saints. This is the call of transformation. And the reality, again, we just celebrated the incarnation not too long ago. And that celebration is what makes this possible. That Jesus came and he he demonstrated what it means to be a perfect human. He demonstrated what it means to be a perfect human. You and I talk about being human and we kind of talk about it in in the framework of our weakness. But Jesus came to be the strongest human who ever lived. 
Jesus came to show us what that is like. And the Spirit of God that he left us with, that he, he now indwells us, makes us able to walk in the way that we've been called to walk. And we all look forward to that day when we will ultimately be just like him. It might be a wrestle here on earth, and it will be a wrestle here on earth to walk in these things. But I think Steve said it last week. Um, this transformation happens with the help of the body of Christ. This transformation is connected to our connectedness to the body of Christ, that he uses his people, that he uses his people to help us be more like Jesus here and now. And we have this privilege of being a part of the body. And again, my prayer and my desire for us is to reject syncretism, that we would look to the scriptures only and for our source of authority that we would submit to. That we wouldn't try to add any Americanism or any other idolatries or idols or ideologies to Jesus, but that we would look to him and see what does he say. And then that we would reject Gnosticism, this reality that how you live transformed here and now on earth doesn't matter. That is a, that is a heresy. That is a false truth that is to be rejected. That Jesus absolutely calls us to live different and the Holy Spirit helps us to do so. Let's pray. Father, I pray again, as I've said, just my burden for your church, that Father, you would, um, you would work in your church as the prayer uh, of the pastor in DC, Lord, that, that, that judgment, that, that your people wouldn't stand and be judges of the world, but they would look to their own hearts and see where darkness is hiding, where an expression of falsehood is present. Father, would you work um, in our, our little church here, Lord, that you would root out bitterness, that you would root out anger, that you would root out clamor, that you would plant seeds of tenderness, that there would be true transformation in our hearts that impact locally, that impact the communities we live in and the community we're a part of, that it would be Jesus that's on display, that all that we would work and do and the good that we would pursue would be to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father. We need your help to be made new. We need your help to live this life that Jesus has laid the pathway for us to live. May we reject the ideologies that would um, dethrone your name. And may we pursue with great hope the transforming power that we know is in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.